Good morning to you all. What a thrill to see you, and uh, what a thrill. I get the opportunity um, as pastor here of our church family, I get the opportunity every week to talk through some of the most incredible news uh, the universe has ever known called the good news of Jesus. We call it the gospel. And uh, today, if you're relatively new to the Christian faith, you're going to get to hear, uh, at least in part, one of the very, very important stories that are in the Bible. It's an Old Testament story, and it's short, but it's sweet. And there is no way to communicate it um, the way that it needs to be communicated quite like reading it yourself. So I want to encourage you to pull out your Bible over the course of uh, this week and read the story of Ruth. Sound good? In fact, I'm not, I'm not asking you, that's your homework. Read the story of Ruth. Um, uh, did you know that the story of Ruth is about the way that God works without mentioning in the, Bible, in the story that God is at work? It is fantastic. We covered last week how God's hidden hand is at work bringing healing to hurting hearts. And um, this week we're going to look closely at um, what He is doing to create a community that represents Him well. Um, there's a, a bumper sticker and a t-shirt and a hashtag and a saying that goes like this, blessed to bless. You ever heard of it? Blessed to bless. Uh, it's actually a biblical principle from the Old Testament. And um, at, at times, I understand it, and then there are other times where I feel like the person who's wearing it, hashtagging it, or has stuck it to their car in a bumper sticker doesn't quite get it. In other words, um, sometimes there's a reference made to how they're blessing the world by holding doors open for people who um, are coming behind them into a particular uh, place, or they're giving a little bit of their money to charity, or they're giving up their seat to someone who's older than them, and in their minds, they are blessing the world by being a blessing themselves, or they're blessed by God, and now they're blessing the world. And I often think to myself that um, what they're categorizing as blessing the world, I categorize, and maybe you do too, as just minimum human decency. It's like being polite is not the way that God has designed us to bless the world. It's the minimum in human decency. If someone drops what they're holding in front of you in line, I don't think we are called and designed by God to bring life-taking change to them by getting down and helping them pick it up. I believe that humans should be doing that because another human needs something. Does that make sense? You know what I'm saying? I don't mean to be critical of somebody who doesn't get it. I'm just thinking that maybe today you and I could look at what God is teaching us through the book of Ruth and get a greater vision for what it looks like to help God change people's lives forever. Like I'm talking really blessed to bless in such a way that people's lives are changed. And if we belong to God and we're learning to obey God, we have to expect more of ourselves. We have to expect more of ourselves than just the minimum human decency. God made a promise to Abraham way, way, way back when everything was in black and white. 
long time ago, God promises Abraham, and he says, Abraham, through you and your descendants, I am going to bless the world so dynamically and dramatically that I'm going to win their hearts over. I'm going to win the hearts of people that are outside Israel. They're going to look and see that truly, without any doubt, clearly, it is true forever and always that God is a good God, that the God of Abraham is a good God. And as God's people live under His rule in obedience to His law, even a foreign widow who's vulnerable would be protected and would be provided for. And the book of Ruth answers this question, how is God involved in the day-to-day joys and hardships of our lives? How involved is He? The book of Ruth shows us exactly how He's involved. And um, it helps us to better understand how God's at work because we might wonder, is God steering us every moment of the day into His perfect will? Other people would say He's not steering us into His, per, uh, into His perfect will. Occasionally what God does is He sends us signs and signals and we're supposed to kind of see them or decode them. And yet other people say, well, what God's doing is God is standing back and He's just looking in. He's just seeing us from a distance and He's probably not communicating with us. He's definitely not steering us. So at a time in the history of Israel when you would expect that God would be working through judges and through kings, He is active instead through very ordinary people. And He's working through ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary plans. He is blessing His people in order to be a profound, life-changing, transformational blessing to other people. So what's the story uh, of the book of Ruth? Um, what do we know about the book of Ruth, the story itself? In the book of uh, Ruth, there's, an Israel, there's a couple, um, Israelite couple, and they escape a famine. A famine has landed in Israel. It's quite possibly God disciplining Israel. And then um, this couple emigrates to a foreign land called Moab. It's Lord of the Rings type of city, if you can imagine. Just say the word Moab and you're like, yeah, it's probably sci-fi. But it's a real city, a historical city called Moab, and God had already warned His people, no Moab for you. If you go to Moab, the same thing happens. You go to this foreign place. Eventually, you start to spend time with their foreign women. You marry them and take them on as your wife, and eventually you start to worship their gods, and God had warned them not to associate with the Moabites, not to move to the Moabites. But there's a couple who's fleeing the famine in Israel, and they go straight to Moab. It's Naomi and Elimelech. And they would have, uh, and, and as it were, would happen, um, Elimelech and, and Naomi's children and Elimelech himself pass away. Dad and the two sons have deceased. And so, there would be no way for Naomi to provide for herself and her daughter-in-laws. There would be no way for her to make a living for herself. And hearing that the famine had come to an end in Israel, she decides to head back with her two daughter-in-laws. One of them ends up staying back, but Ruth pleads with her to go on back to her homeland in Israel. So Ruth devotes herself to Naomi, and the two of them go back to try to start their life over in Israel. And there, in Israel... God faithfully sends them, seemingly 
on the surface, very ordinary farmer named Boaz. Um, how many of you know somebody named Boaz? How many of you, during this um, series, you're kind of like, I really missed it there. That's a name that I should have named my children. Anybody? Nobody. Really, a couple people. <laughs> Go Boaz. If you're Boaz today, welcome. We're glad you're here. Uh, you have been set aside by God as an ordinary person to do extraordinary things in God's name according to the book of Ruth. And so, in the book of Ruth, this faithfulness of God not only benefits Naomi, the faithfulness of God not only uh, benefits Naomi's family, but it goes on to bless the world through the lineage of David, who is, in fact, the lineage of Boaz and Ruth. And we get to look in and we get to watch and see from a distance how exactly God is using the obedience of ordinary people to fill a widow's bitter emptiness and how he changes her life forever. And that brings us to today's question, what kind of community does obedience to God create? What kind of community if a group of people who belong to God are obedient, what kind of community starts to emerge out of that community, out of that family of people who are doing things God's way, who are living with this hashtag blessed to bless type of outlook that God provides to, uh, through Abraham? Well, here's the answer. Through the obedience of his people, God himself creates among his own people, at this time it was called Israel, but later on it would be all the people who belong to Jesus, a community of kindness. Now, this is one of the reasons, this word kindness here is the, one of the reasons why I wanted to point out that kindness doesn't mean being polite to people. Kindness doesn't mean that when somebody says to you, have a nice day, you say back to them, no, you have a nice day. And then somehow feel like that we are spreading the love of Jesus. I want, I'm hoping, my prayer is that God builds in you a clearer vision for what it looks like to be an attractive community of God-sized kindness that brings transformation in people's lives, not just a momentary feel-good, that was a nice person, I'm so glad I bumped into them. They made my day a little sunnier. Again, my hope is that you and I together agree that's the bare bones minimum, but there's so much more available. I mean, think of this. Ruth is a widow who is in a foreign country and is literally a refugee. Out of her country into a foreign country. And God provides for her. And God protects her. And it happens without any prejudice to her and without any shame for being a vulnerable foreign refugee widow. In a nation where someone like that would be on the bottom, lower margins of life, loaded with shame and prejudice, facing all kinds of prejudice. So how does God do it? This is going to be a zinger here. If you're taking notes, write this down. How does God do this for Ruth? This is an Old Testament answer. He does it through His law. He does it through his expectations. He does it through his mandates and regulations and the rules that he set up for his own people. In the Old Testament, this is the way that God expressed himself. God's people, of course the Israelites, they are to treat vulnerable people according to the law, these people who would be considered aliens and refugees, with the same kindness 
and uh, without partiality and with care for them because they themselves were once slaves in Egypt and subject to the harshness of the Egyptians. But God's story of Ruth is a case study for these laws. We get to see how God's law brings life change, life transformation. Uh, It's a lovely picture of these laws in action. And we get to see how it shows what happens when God's people obey the letter of the law in the spirit of the law. And I could tell you're really eager to hear more. God's law reveals what God expected because it revealed who He was. And when somebody like Boaz and Ruth were uh, obedient to what God expected, God creates this attractive community of kindness. So, here's how we can sum this up. Through obedience, through obedience of His people, God creates an attractive community. This is what I want you to take away today. My hope is that you see this in in Ruth chapter 2. This is what the takeaway is, that through the obedience of God's people, the Israelites in this case, and of course later on inspired by and filled by uh, uh, by Jesus and full of His Spirit. So, when, when God's people obey Him, what happens? They become an attractive community that commends. Um... If you are not quite sure what the word commends mean, think of reviews. Think of Google reviews, Yelp reviews. Think of the word recommends. Um, how many of you now, when you travel out of town, I, I'm curious to hear, how many of you, when you travel out of town, in order to find a place to go, a place to eat, a place to do whatever, one of the first things you do is you check the what? The reviews? How many of you check the reviews? If you're not checking reviews, you may end up at Ponderosa. If you love Ponderosa, that's a good thing. <laughs> or as Michael Scott says, when you go to New York City, you can enjoy some original New York pizza in Sabaro. So the word commend is the word recommend. It means, it means this. It means that um, this community gives God and his rule, five stars out of five stars. It makes people say, I want to be a part of that. I want to know that God. I want to worship that God. I wish I was under and submitted to the protection and provision of that God. Does that make sense? So that's what happens when um, God's people are in obedience. And Jesus says to his people, by the way, you remember later he says to his disciples, I'm a light in the dark. I'm a strong tower among the storm. I'm a city on a hill, and my people will will, um, shine brightly. I'm a quenching of your thirst. I'm satisfaction for your hunger, Jesus says. I'm the salt of the earth that adds flavor. And Paul says to the church that his church, because of the gospel and the work of Jesus in our hearts, ought to be a contrasting community to the dark evil of the world. He actually writes that the conversation among believers ought to be gracious and attractive to people. What does that mean? It means that people that are around God's family feel commended. They feel recommended to who God is and what He provides and what He offers. So watch how attractive God's obedience Uh, God's obedient people are in chapter 2. Check out, if you would, how incredibly um, compelling 
That's another word, right? We're going we're gonna to see how Boaz goes beyond the law. We're going to see um, that God's law is an old covenant law that basically explains this. And here's your answer. How does God's law do this? Well, God's law describes and has made a provision for widows and refugees. And it happens during the harvest. Landowners were to leave um, leftover harvest. So their workers would go through the harvest. On the first time through, they were to leave, according to God's law, leftovers for those who were refugees, those who were foreigners, those who were uh, widows, to pick up the, the... kind of the spillover from the first harvest. And in so doing, God had provided a way to provide for those people with dignity, without the shame of being a charity case. They could do that on their own with this uh, gather up uh, leftovers and provide for themselves, and they could demonstrate their own independence and their own work ethic. So here's how it looks. Boaz went over and he said to Ruth, by the way, Ruth and Naomi stranded in Israel with no one and nothing, And Boaz is a farmer. He says, listen, my daughter, he says to Ruth, stay right here with us when you gather grain. Stay with us. Don't go to any other field. Stay right behind the young women working in my field. See which part of the field they are harvesting and then follow them. So Boaz, who owns the field, is telling Ruth, here's some Uh, We're going to make this even easier for you. Stay right behind the, the workers who are in my field. I've warned the young men not to treat you roughly. And when you are thirsty, help yourself to the water that they've drawn from the well. This is why it's important to read this on your own. This is so significant. You are getting permission from the owner to, to drink of the water drawn by his own workers. Um, so terrific. So Ruth fell at his feet, and he thanked him warm, and, and she uh, and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness? She asked. And what does she acknowledge to him? I don't deserve this. People like me don't get this kind of treatment. We are not shown any favor at all. We are merely left the leftovers to kind of pick and harvest for ourselves off the ground, and she says, but I'm only a foreigner. This is not what I deserve. This is not what I'm familiar with. This is not what's normal. So she falls at his feet, and she thanks him warmly and says, you are doing something extraordinary for me and my family. And to you, I'm I'm worthless to you. I'm a foreign widow. I'm worthless to you. And uh, this reminds me, uh, didn't I mention my 10th grade English class recently? Was that last week? I think I, I, all the weeks blur together. I don't know what happened last week or last year. I don't know. Um, do you remember reading the book Pygmalion? Anyone read that? Some of you were like, I never read that, but I saw a pretty woman. <laughs> and so I, I can't help but get this picture in my mind that Boaz serves as this kind of this, uh, and this is even better, right? Because the source of all of the good stories here in the Bible is God at work. And He Himself is... Um, and, and by the way, all the, the source of all the great stories in the world... Here's a, I'll let you in on this little secret that, the, that, that, that might be um, interesting to kind of investigate on your own. All the great stories, in my opinion, find their source right in the Bible. They, come out, they bloom right out of the, the, um, 
the Christian faith. And you can investigate that on your own if, you're, if, you, um, if you have any doubts that that's true. So Boaz replies, yes, I know, but I also know about everything you have done, right? Ruth says, what you have done has blown me away. It is way beyond what is expected. I am so grateful and thankful. And then Boaz says back to her, but I've heard about you. I know everything that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I have heard how you left your father and your mother. You even left your own land to live here among complete strangers. Boaz is acknowledging that Ruth has demonstrated this this loving kindness, this faithfulness to her mother-in-law, Naomi. And Ruth becomes, in this picture, a vivid, beautiful example of God's winsome kindness. Uh, If you don't know the word winsome, that's a great word to um, um, embrace and to look up and to research on your own, the winsomeness of God's kindness. So Boaz commends Ruth for showing Naomi kindness, for all the things that she sacrificed because she loves her mother-in-law. And then she does not wait around complaining, saying, you know, somehow uh, waiting for the skies to open up and God to do something um, miraculous. Instead, she gets to work and then she sees God is doing something miraculous through ordinary means for her. And all the while, she's hoping that God would do something miraculous. All the while, she's hoping that God would provide for her. All the while, she's humbly recognizing her need for favor from God. She's full of gratitude when it comes. And Boaz notices that she's a humble Moabite who is sensitive and responding to his God. He recognizes that she is, in fact, taken refuge under the wings of his own God. She is won over to his God. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. He notices that God is changing her life and she is responding to God. And he says, may God reward you. May you be the one who is rewarded for what's happening in your heart. And she says, I hope to continue to please you, sir, she replied. You have comforted me by speaking so kindly, even though I'm not one of your workers. So I am not one of your people. I'm a foreigner. I am not one of your workers. I am on the outside of your family of workers. And at mealtime, Boaz calls to her and he says, come over here and help yourself to some food. Anybody else think that's the greatest line in the entire Bible? Anybody else? Is it just me? Let me say it again for you. Come over here, help yourself to some food. And then he goes on to say, you can dip your bread in the sour wine. Right now, this is like, now this is, this is over the top now. Now Boaz is really going above and beyond. So she sat with his harvesters, not under, below, behind, or in the margin. She sits with them. We're starting to see a picture I don't want to get ahead of myself. Starting to get a picture of how he begins this redeeming work that we share in when we know our Redeemer. Boaz gave her some roasted grain to eat. She ate all she wanted and still had some 
left over. Again, Boaz goes even further. I'm going to say it this way. He goes beyond the letter of the law and he accomplishes the spirit of the law. You know, there's about 600 plus laws that God had created in the Old Testament and Jesus comes along and he summarizes those laws by saying, love God and love others. In other words, if you follow the spirit of the law, you're going to be loving God with your obedience and you're going to be loving other people. And Boaz goes above and beyond. After the meal, Ruth prepares, continuing to work. And her activity initiates Boaz's instructions to her. And he says to the young men, when Ruth went back to work again, Boaz ordered his young men, let her gather grain right among the sheaves without stopping her. And pull out some heads of barley from the bundles and drop them on purpose for her. Drop them. Put them on the ground. And let her pick them up and don't give her a hard time. It's like Boaz knows what his worker crew is like. Don't be knuckleheads, okay? Don't be knuckleheads. She is, she is special. We are expressing God's favor and his, uh, this unique uh, f- favor to her. And he goes beyond the letter of the law. Now, normally this means when she's gleaning behind the worker, she's picking up some leftovers. But here, obviously, these... Uh, these um, workers are leaving entire um, bundles for her to glean. And by the way, this is pretty wild. She um, does not have, to, not only does she not have to work hard, she ends up gleaning and, and, and um, leftovers so much that she has leftovers. And as a result, she has this abundance, she has this overflow, and she hauls home 30 pounds of food. 30 pounds of food. That is several weeks' worth of food in this one act of generosity by Boaz. And she hauls home. By the way, 30 pounds, good for Ruth. Ruth has got to be shredded. She takes home 30 pounds of... It's so much grain. There's so much food that her mother-in-law, Naomi, says to her, where did you get all that food? How is this even possible? Where did you gather all this grain today, Naomi asked? I'm, I'm sure Naomi's thinking, please don't say you stole it. Please. Where did you work? And, and, and wherever you worked, may the Lord bless the one who helped you. So Ruth told her mother-in-law about the man in whose field she had worked. And she said, the man I worked with today, his name is Boaz. God is using Boaz's provision for her. And what's happening? Naomi senses there's some sense, and he, she starts, she's praying now for Boaz. By the way, she's praying for Boaz after being the one who said, I came here full, but now God has emptied me out, and, I am, and I'm bitter. And we don't know if she means bitter circumstances, or she's saying, my heart is bitter. But now she's praying for somebody. Now she's saying, may God richly bless this God that she's struggling with and wrestling with and probably accusing of some things. Now she realizes God is filling her emptiness with his kindness. Boaz's provision is being poured out on her, and her disposition is changing, and now she's grateful. But, but, but wait, God, of course, does even more. Then Ruth said, well, what's more, Boaz even told me to come back and stay with his harvesters until the entire harvest is completed. In other words, you can be here until all uh, the, the harvest is completed. Don't leave anytime sooner than that. So Ruth worked alongside the women in Boaz's fields and gathered grain with them until the end of the barley 
harvest. Again, abundance and overflow. And Boaz is a beautiful example. And I want you to see this. It's so important to see this. That Boaz is an example. He is a picture. He is a snapshot. He is a cross-section of this beautiful example of God's kindness that's expressed through human mercy and justice to somebody who did not socially deserve it or expect it. And Boaz gives this picture, this beautiful picture. Now, the prophet Micah, he summarized what we see here in the life of Boaz. He summarized to you and I what does it look like when God's people are submitted and surrendered and obedient to His character and His nature. And he communicates, Micah does, this social ethic of people who belong to God. And here's what he says. You'll recognize this. Some of you will recognize this. Know, O people, the Lord has told you what is good. And this is what He requires of you. This is where God's people are starting to like, they would be leaning in here and their ears, their antennas would be in, in uh, kind of like all tuned in to hear what is it that God requires of His people? To do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Justice, mercy, and humility. That's what the social ethic is of people who belong to God. Justice, mercy, and humility. To do what is right, to love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. And Boaz provides for the hungry. He does justice by applying God's word, and he does so regarding the widow, the foreigner, the stranger, the poor. He gives Ruth gleaning rights way beyond what she expected. By the way, many landovers were, uh, landowners were not friendly, as you can imagine. Uh, probably posted handwritten signs, get out, stay off my grass, <laughs> get lost. It's easy to imagine how some have justified to themselves, we just got out of a 10-year famine. I'm not letting anybody uh, scoop up leftovers. This belongs to me just in case the, the, the famine lingers or comes back. Yet Boaz obeyed the word of God to do justice. He obeys. He does it. He follows through. You imagine later on Jesus is saying to his disciples that when you belong to me, you go beyond the law, right? It's not, in, in Sermon on the Mount, we see this. It's not just the letter of the law, but there's a spirit of the law, Jesus communicates to his disciples. And you imagine his disciples saying to him, so I have to be nice to the poor? And Jesus corrects them. No, share your own wealth with them. You are blessed to bless them. Share your own wealth with them and lift them. You can help lift them out of despair. I'm not just asking you to be nice to them. Don't treat them poorly, but instead, there's more. He deserves, um, we see Boaz here serving as Ruth's justice advocate, and he charges his men, don't harm her. He protects her by um, standing for her, and, and, and strangers and widow, widows could easily be mistreated easily be abused in their situation, just as they are still mistreated and abused around the world because they have no power and no leverage in the culture. But Boaz offers her protection and he uses his influence for someone who has no influence. Jesus is teaching his disciples and he says, when you love, you love beyond the law. You go beyond the letter of the law. You imagine his disciples, maybe a modern-day disciple, saying, so 
you mean you want me to protest our laws that are supporting uh, abortion? You You can hear Jesus saying, no, adopt their unwanted children. Go above and beyond the law. Do more. Be more present. Be an advocate. Be uh, someone who is protecting the vulnerable because you represent me and my attractive community. By the way, Boaz uses his words and he encourages and supports Ruth. He goes beyond the requirements of the law, showering her, uh, ref- obviously refreshing her, inviting him to this food that was belonged to him. He prays for her. He honors her. He elevates her among the view of the workers. He speaks kindly to her, even invites her to his table for food and gives her so much that there's an abundance. He even urges his men, let her glean like our workers are doing. You imagine Jesus teaching his disciples and he's teaching them to live beyond the law, that when you belong to me and you follow me, you do above and beyond. And they say, you telling me, Jesus, I have to tolerate the Samaritans? And Jesus says, no, take them into your house. What? You crazy. No, because when you belong to me, you do what I do and you go beyond, above and beyond to accomplish the spirit of the law with the, in the power of the spirit. Why? So that you become a part of a winsome and attractive community. And here's what I'm doing. I'm hoping, church family, I'm hoping to help you get a clearer view of a vision of what it looks like to belong to God's family and to commend him well. A vision. And we can't do this on, this on our own. We don't do this naturally. We really do um, need God's help by the power of His Spirit to treat people better than they deserve. Boaz shows kindness and grace to his workers much better than they deserve, and this is evidenced in so many ways here. Boaz walks humbly with the Lord. So he demonstrates this humility in his consideration of Ruth and the way that he treats his workers his acknowledgement of the Lord's sovereignty over everything that belongs to him, his willingness to eat with his workers, an expression of humility. No wonder he and Ruth, you'll notice, kind of make for a good match. You could see that if either one of them, if, if they were on a dating app, they would be a match. They would be a match with their humility. And Jesus says, again, as an act of humility, Jesus is teaching his disciples to go beyond the letter of the law. And they ask Jesus, I have to, so Jesus, I just want to be straight. I have to forgive my enemies. Remember, Jesus is on the cross and the Roman soldiers are crucifying him and he says, Father, forgive them. Right? So Jesus, you expect us to forgive our enemies? And Jesus says, no, no. I expect more. I expect you not just to forgive them. I expect you to love them. It's more. It's bigger. It's beyond. Why? So that God's people who are in obedience to God are commending God in his beautiful glory and the uniqueness of belonging to God. It's way beyond the natural. So now what? Now what? Really, really briefly. Don't let yourself... Let me ask you for permission first. Can I challenge you with something? 
Whoever said yes, this, this next part's for you. If you said no, no hard feelings. No hard feelings. We're still friends. But can I challenge you with something? This is going to be something that the Spirit does. This is going to be something the Spirit does. I don't do this. My words don't do this. I know that guilt and shame works for some people. God doesn't use guilt and shame. He doesn't need to. This is a work of the Spirit. And next week we're going to talk about how the Spirit brings us to life through a Redeemer to help us embody Him. But before we get there, I just want to put this out there. I want to challenge you. Be careful. Don't let yourself sit idly by expecting other people, other people to fill someone's emptiness with God's kindness. Because if you know the grace of God through the work of Jesus in your life, you have enough grace to give. You have enough forgiveness to give. You have enough love to give. And we cannot, should not, ought never sit by and hope that someone else does it. I'm not mad. I'm not mad. I just, you know what you're hearing out of me? You're hearing conviction in my own heart that I myself would be more a part of what God's doing to win the world to himself. I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of his family that's commending him well, that living in such a way that outsiders who don't belong to God say, that's attractive. Now, I know, I know that there's, in, in so many cases, there's just like scales over the people's eyes who don't belong to God, and, and, and you know, right is wrong, and wrong is right, and you get condemned for doing good things. I, I understand that. I'm not necessarily talking about those types of people. I'm talking about everybody else who doesn't have those, that kind of poisonous view of God or Christians. But when someone else's emptiness needs to be filled, just more and more I want to be a part of helping God do that. More and more. And I don't want to sit idly by and hope someone else is going to do that. Someone else is going to um, give empty people God-sized grace. There's so many ways to do this in a practical way. Um, I've already mentioned one, that the the, the need that we have in our culture now, one of the real hot topic needs in our culture now for adoption, for families willing to adopt, for the support of adoption um, pregnancy centers, um, which, by the way, outnumber abortion clinics. They say, in some cases, um, report three to one, that, that God's people are at work helping to... Um, rescue and provide for and um, care for unborn children. We have people in our own church family that are contributing in a dynamic way. There's a mobile, um, there's a um, locally here through uh, New Hope who we support, a mobile ultrasound unit. Uh, we have a couple of our own men in our own family who drive that beast around town, volunteered to drive that um, there's giving to local church benevolence needs that you may never discover that you want to be a part of meeting those needs. Special needs here on Sunday through special needs families. And we have so many people who contribute in such a special way to love on those people and those families. You just heard stories from our students, right? Stories from our students who were in the James Project serving um, those with developmental disabilities just selflessly. I don't know if you know this, but Jim, our student ministries director, spends his vacation doing that. 
And I don't want you to say, oh, I feel bad because he does that, and I don't. I want you to say, wow, that's inspiring. That's amazing. Guess I was vacation. Like, Jim, what are you doing? Are you going to the Bahamas, maybe the coast of Florida? No, I'm going to a disabilities camp. I love that. Only God can do that, right? Only God can work in that way. And I remember as a teenager, when the, the opportunity for me to go on a missions trip with my local church youth group came along, and I remember telling my youth pastor at one point, I would love to go on the missions trip, but I can't go on the missions trip. And I remember saying to him, I don't have the money. And he said, you do have the money. I said, no, I don't. He said, you have half the money. I said, no, I don't. He said, yes, you do. Somebody sponsored you half the trip. And I said, what, are they broke? Why didn't they sponsor the whole trip? I'm just kidding. I didn't care. I didn't, I'm just, that's terrible. That's awful to say. Stingy. I was like, you know what Boaz did? So, so listen, through the generosity of God's people, they pay half my trip, and all of a sudden, $1,200 is $600. Now it's in the range of raising that money. Miraculously, God provides the rest of that money. And then one thing leads to another, Book of Ruth. And while I'm on the mission field, two things happen. God calls me into full-time church ministry, changed my life, and also I develop a lifelong bond with one of the team members who I would eventually go on to marry. And it all happens there because someone lived in such a way as to commend the beauty and the generosity of God to the church and just contributes in a way that changes someone's life. So many of you do that. We're always getting reports of somebody being sponsored and, and so on. We have foster care uh, needs in our community. Thank God for foster hope. New York that Nikki and Hannah are doing to bring support to foster families who so desperately need it when they're in this incredible work of God to provide foster care. Interfaith uh, works helps families adopt immigrant families who are in desperate need, foreigners in a foreign land who need support. Hope Print does the same. Um, you know, may the Lord always fill up his church with people. Men like Boaz, women like Ruth, may he always fill up his church with people who are protecting and providing for the vulnerable. People who are um, alert and active never to prey on them, who display kindness and mercy in humility. And may we pray for those people who are doing that. If, if we are those people, uh, if we know those people, may we strive to be like them. And when we do that, we can expect our God-sized kindness to bring change. Everyday people bringing God-sized change. Thankfully, we're not left to struggle alone as we try to follow Ruth and, and Boaz's example because we have a Jesus who has filled us with the Spirit and we have the capacity in our heart to be a part of His family and, attract and, be, and live in an attractive way, Right? And he can inspire us to do that. And we're inspired to do that by a true and better redeemer who is our rescuer, Jesus. So this chapter concludes, by the way, and when it concludes, Ruth is harvesting. She is finishing up the harvest, staying close to Boaz's worker women. She's gleaning until the end of the barley and the wheat season. And she's continuing to live with her mother-in-law. 
Now, if you're uh, reading this story and you're kind of a romance reader, you're like, Where I want to see where this is going. Do they, are these two a match? Do they, it's a bit of a letdown here because at the end of chapter 2, she's still living on her own in her mother-in-law's house working in his field. But they spend six to seven weeks together working together. And nothing is said of their developing or budding a relationship. And at the end of the harvest season, Ruth is still a widow. She hasn't moved out of her mother-in-law's house. And you and I get to pick up the story next week to see what happens between Ruth and Boaz after he has expressed so deeply God's generosity and his justice and his humility to her. And we have to wait to the next chapter to see how this progresses. And we'll see that the mother-in-law, I know this is going to be hard to believe, but the mother-in-law has a plan to get them together. It's going to be hard to picture. I'm going to, be on my, I'm going to do my best describing this story to you. That Naomi's got a, a plan. But in the next chapter, you and I get to look through Boaz. We're not going to look at Boaz. We're going to look through Boaz to the redeeming Savior who makes this kind of life possible for you and I. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful today for the special way that you have saved us, filled us with your Spirit, and then show us what kind of God you are. And we're mindful of all of the profound needs that are in our culture, in our community, and in our church, in our own families, in our own homes. And I just pray today, God, that you would inspire this activation. That the grace that we've received from you, the abundance of wealth that we've received from you, the, the, all of this extra treasure, this unique talent that you've given us, that you would somehow translate it in a way that we were able to commend you to the world. And in our obedience, would you help people who don't yet know Jesus discover Jesus, to see him clearly, that we would be givers and not takers, we would be totally dependent on you and not self-reliant, and we pray that you would cause that to happen deeply in our hearts today. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? We're going to sing together and celebrate all that God is to us, and I'll be right back.